MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, October 1st, 2021. Today, Congress funds the government, avoiding a shutdown. The Select Committee on the Insurrection say they'll be tough on those who skirt their subpoenas. We'll see. The U.S. mail is set to slow down as part of DeJoy's disastrous 10-year plan. Manchin comes back with a top-line number after multiple meetings with Biden. And Governor Kristi Noem cuts ties with Corey Lewandowski. I'm your host, Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Wow, lots of headlines today, Dana. I love how confused you sounded about Christy Noam and Lewandowski. <laughs> and I'll get into that uh, one of our last stories to help explain to you. But that's a good what the fuck moment for everyone that we'll get into later. Yeah, please do. Because I'm like, Corey Lewandowski, Lewandowski? Like, <laughs> the, the guy? The uh-huh. one? Yeah, yeah, someone was looking to him for advice, which is weird. Uh, governor Christy Noam, the governor? That lady? That, that would lady. be her. Wow, Okay. Weird bedfellows that I don't want to think about. All right. Literally and figuratively. Possibly. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, here's something cool, Dana. Later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the executive director of the Alliance for Youth Action. Her name is Sarah Adello. And um, she's absolutely awesome. She's doing incredible work. So I'm looking forward to having that discussion, too. Nice. Yeah. Yay. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Big headlines today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top stories are from under the dome today. You know, racing to avoid a government shutdown. That was happening at midnight. And Congress today, well, yesterday, Thursday, gave final approval on that spending bill that would extend federal funding through early December. So kicking the can down the road a couple of months. And it also provides emergency aid to support the resettlement of Afghan refugees and disaster recovery efforts across the country. The legislation passed 254 to 175 clearing it for Biden's signature before funding lapses tonight at midnight. The Senate earlier Thursday passed the legislation on a 65 to 35 margin, with 15 Republicans joining all Democrats in favor. Quote, this is a good outcome. Thanks, Chuck (laughs) Schumer. (laughs) Speaking on the Senate floor, with so many things happening in Washington, the last thing the American people need is for the government to grind to a halt. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Lawmakers reached a deal on the spending legislation after Democrats agreed to strip out a provision that would have raised the federal government's ability to continue borrowing funds through the end of 2022. Senate Republicans blocked that initial funding package on Monday over its inclusion. That's the debt ceiling thing. And they refused to uh, give the majority party any of the votes it needed to move ahead on a bill to avert a first ever federal default. And that's coming up on October 18th. And Manchin made clear on Thursday that $1.5 trillion was his top line number. That is the price tag he's willing to settle on for his party's plan to expand social safety net. And I hate that fucking New York Times is referring to this as the social safety net. Stop it. It's the goddamn infrastructure package. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. So this puts him two trillion under, you know, what progressives want, what the rest of us want, I should say. That's from the lowest number that the, the Democrats have said they would accept, the progressives. Manchin has said he informed Biden that was his number. And Biden said he needed more than that. And then Manchin said, I've never been a liberal in any way, shape or form. Oh, my God. (laughs) We know I'm willing to come from zero to one point five trillion, which is true. All of that is true. The Democrats build back better act would expand the child tax credit. Medicare's ability to cover vision, hearing and dental care would fund community college, universal pre-K, combat climate change, fund elder care and paid leave programs. The $3.5 trillion bill would be paid for, at least in part, by tax increases, primarily on corporations and the wealthy. I said back in June, Dana, both bills combined, we started at $3 trillion. When Joe introduced him, he's like, I- I'm going to do the, you know, the, this and part two and part three of the American Rescue Plan, the Jobs Act and the Families Act, right? And all together, because that's all now subsumed in the, in the reconciliation package, right? And, and all told, it was $3 trillion. And, and then I said the GOP would only want one trillion in infrastructure and Dems would come back. And they did with a combined six trillion. They initially wanted eight trillion in their initial reconciliation. And then once we negotiate with moderate Dem senators like Manchin, 
we'd be somewhere back at the original three trillion we wanted in the first place. Well, that's exactly where we are. And don't get me wrong. I want five trillion combined. But I just want to remind everybody there was a time we were cool with three trillion mm-hmm. and with Manton's 1.5 and then the bipartisan 1.2. That's almost where we are. Maybe we'll get him up to 108. I don't know. But I doubt we'll get him in the twos. We shall see. Yep, we shall see indeed, AG. Mm-hmm. Next one, Americans across the country could start seeing slowdowns, like that already hasn't happened, in mail delivery across the country's earliest Friday when the U.S. Postal Service implements its new service standards. The changes, which include longer first-class mail delivery times and cuts to post office hours, are part of the embattled Postmaster General's Louis DeJoy's 10-year plan for the agency that he unveiled earlier this year. Why the fuck does he still have a job? <laughs> Let's keep going. According to the USPS spokeswoman, Kim Frum, the service changes won't affect about 60% of first-class mail and nearly all periodicals. Uh, Kim, that means it still affects 40% of the fucking mail. Okay. Within a, lo- within a local area, standard delivery time for single P's, first-class mail will remain at two days. However, mail traveling longer distances will take longer to arrive in some cases due to USPS increasing transit time. There's a quote, these changes would position us to leverage more cost-effective means to transport first-class packages via ground rather than using costly air transportation, which is also less reliable due to weather, flight traffic, availability constraints, competition for space, and the added handoffs involved. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that made me giggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Added handoffs, handoffs involved. involved. That's what hey. Frum said. If you're not <laughs> laughing right now, said. Beans listeners, you're dead inside. <laughs> now, many Democrats have called for the ousting of DeJoy. All of us. All of us. Me? Many. Hello, all of us. Yes. And uh, as we all know, he was a major donor to the GOP and the former guy. So chances are it's going to take a lot to get him out of his position. But we are trying. We should be trying just a little harder. Maybe they sent him his resignation letter and his firing by mail. Maybe that's why he hasn't gotten it yet. (laughs) That's right. The Board of Postal Governors (laughs) mailed him his pink slip and it hasn't gotten there yet. Yep. That's that's the slowdown. It's just being mailed. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, Next up, and this is a pretty long one, but it's important, from Kyle Cheney and Nicholas Wu at Politico. And there are hints in this story that the mainstream media, first of all, isn't talking about much, but they're totally missing. The House committee investigating Donald's role on January 6th is quietly devising plans to pressure hostile witnesses to spill their secrets. The select panel's leaders are preparing a narrow set of legal and tactical options as they brace for Trump allies to invoke a wide range of constitutional protections to avoid testifying or just flat out ignore subpoenas like they have in the past. And some of these are claiming executive privilege uh, that they'll try to invoke or their constitutional right to avoid self-incrimination, Fifth Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. And we have here a quote here. We have a full panoply of sanctions available for people who refuse to comply with the congressional subpoena. We want the truth to come out, not just about the foot soldiers, but about the generals, too. And that's Rep. Jamie Raskin, who I love. Based on interviews with seven lawmakers on the January 6th committee, here are the options the committee is poised to pursue if people buck their subpoenas. Adam Schiff previewed the possibility of holding resistant witnesses in civil or even criminal contempt, emphasizing while Congress's citations often went ignored during the Trump presidency, the Biden Justice Department is less likely to stand in the way. And it is the Department of Justice that you can go to to seek criminal contempt or civil contempt. And this seems to be the first step the January 6th committee will take if anyone defies subpoenas. So it's not like back under the Trump times when he wouldn't let like anyone testify during the impeachment. And what's Congress going to go to Bill Barr and say, can you please help us with contempt? Yeah, it's not going to happen. But now we have this. So I trust that Merrick Garland will will allow that to happen. Something called use immunity. And this is the part that particularly struck me. Listen to this. Congress has been reluctant to offer immunity to witnesses in politically sensitive investigations, fearing that extending even limited protection to potential wrongdoers could derail potential prosecutions. But the January 6th investigation could be an exception. Multiple members of the panel said if necessary to cajole testimony from reluctant witnesses, immunity offers were in their arsenal. And they emphasized that their decisions are carefully coordinated with the Justice Department to ensure they don't disrupt the DOJ's parallel January 6th investigation. That says to me that, and right here, the next line is, 
There have been ongoing conversations with the Department of Justice as we move forward, Benny Thompson said. That says to me that the Department of Justice is investigating these people that they're subpoenaing or plan to subpoena, which aren't just the foot soldiers, right? I mean, granted, the select committee is going to have some of those foot soldiers who, who pled guilty come and testify. And, you know, maybe that's the coordination they're talking about. But this seems to be... This screams to me that the Department of Justice is it, to work with this select committee means that they're investigating this and not just the boots on the ground. That's that's my thought. Congressional investigators could drill down even further on this particular use immunity tactic. And Zoe Lofgren said use immunity permits witnesses to testify about their conduct without risking prosecution for anything they say in a deposition. The prosecutors could theoretically still bring charges based on evidence collected separately. The Justice Department has encountered major problems in the past, it says, in prosecuting <laughs> witnesses who've testified under such immunity. They, they don't mention it, but it's Iran-Contra. Uh, <laughs> such use immunity provides significant protection for witnesses to discuss potentially criminal actions that they or their associates might have committed. And this is how Bill Cosby got off the hook. Right. By the way. If you remember, Dana, it was a prosecutorial error because, well, they had granted him immunity to testify in a civil suit, mm-hmm. a civil case. And that, you know, they were, he was told he wouldn't he couldn't be criminally prosecuted for anything that he testified to under oath. And, and, and so that's how the uh, conviction of Bill Cosby got overturned. So that's what they're trying to very, very, you know, avoid. Yeah. Yeah. Be very careful about and avoid here in this this particular thing. Is it so they're talking to the Justice Department to make sure that they don't Iran contra this shit up again. An odd wrinkle here, Dana, that could aid the committee's information gathering. Lofgren noted that anyone pardoned by Trump for conduct connected to the committee's investigation would be unable to invoke the Fifth Amendment. Politico says it's unclear which witnesses fit this description, but Trump issued post-election pardons to a handful of witnesses the January 6th committee has expressed interest in obtaining information from. Bannon, Stone, Flynn, Carrick, and Papadopoulos. Now, I I don't get this consideration because the insurrection happened after the pardons, so Mm -hmm. I don't get how... Anyone would fall into this category unless they're talking about behavior that was part of the larger conspiracy to overthrow the government, but occurred prior to the pardon. Right. And if the pardon were a blanket pardon. Now, as we know, many of the pardons like Manafort's were pretty narrow in scope, right? Only what Mueller investigated and these charges, his tax charges, et cetera. But others like Flynn's were kind of more blankety, but still kind of, you know, still had some scope to them. So I will see if anyone falls and maybe Bannon. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the language of the pardon. And then, of course, there's outside pressure. Members of the January 6th committee say they have a cudgel that wouldn't require them to go to court at all. And that's fear of the unknown. An untold number of witnesses have come forward to provide voluntary testimony and their cooperation could spook some ex-Trump hands to work with investigators rather than let others speak for them. You know, that would be lovely. And then, of course, the most important weapon in the committee's arsenal is Biden. The chief executive, only he can invoke executive privilege to prevent the disclosure of a predecessor's secrets. And the White House has signaled that Biden is strongly considering waiving the privilege when it comes to material sought by the January 6th panel, which is weird for an institutionalist. And that could also apply to testimony of former White House aides, some of whom would conceivably have been considered part of Trump's inner circle. And then, of course, the least likely option, we've talked about it many times in the committee's toolbox, is inherent contempt. Congress's unilateral authority to fine or even jail recalcitrant witnesses. But there's, you know, little dispute. Congress has this authority. It's been, it's, it's been languishing. It's not been used for like 100 years. And in recent congressional probes, despite howls from Democratic factions, me, to dust it off, House Counsel Doug Letters made it clear this option simply would not be feasible, practically or politically. Schiff noted that attempting to wield inherent contempt might still wind up before the courts, bogging down the process for months and undermining the decision to deploy it in the first place. But that hasn't stopped lawmakers from musing about it. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer even asked about the prospect. He was asked Tuesday about the prospect and said, it's on the table and it'll remain on the table. And Raskin confirmed the committee hasn't ruled it out. There is a growing appetite for using Congress's own contempt powers, he said. So, yeah, again. I love Raskin. I love me Raskin. Me too. All right. This is what we were talking about earlier, so hopefully you'll get some answers. Finally, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem has severed ties with political strategist Corey Lewandowski. That's following the allegations reported by Politico that Lewandowski made unwanted sexual advances toward a woman at a recent fundraising no. event. Somebody I in know. the Trump campaign made what? unwanted sexual advances and toward did, a... Pu- and no. didn't get a promotion? 
Lewandowski has been a top advisor to Noam and had traveled the country with her in recent months, introducing her to major Republican Party donors and power brokers. Oh. Yes. Mm. Introducing her to major Republican Party donors. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? And you want to know why? Because she's emerged as a rising star in the GOP and is being considered as a potential candidate for president in 2024. Wow, we are scraping the bottom of the barrel for 2024, aren't we? Here we go. And this is a quote from a Noam spokesman. Corey was always a volunteer, never paid a dime, campaign or official. He will not be advising the governor in regard to the campaign or official office. And that's from Ian Fury, the spokesman for Noam. Another Republican politician, Nebraska gubernatorial candidate Charles Herbster, also cut ties with Lewandowski Thursday morning. Wonder what he was doing for Is for he going to get indicted or something? Like, why is everybody why is everybody dumping Lewandowski right now? This I is mean, interesting. I'm going to find out. This is another quote. I have known Corey Lewandowski since 2015 when I was an early and steadfast supporter of Donald J. Trump for president, Herbster, a wealthy agricultural executive. That's what he said in a statement. He went on to say, most recently, Corey has been one of my senior campaign advisors as I run for governor of the state of Nebraska. I've asked Corey to step aside from his role. Corey and his family will remain in my prayers. In my prayers? That's a hint, Herbster. And I by know. the way, Herbster sounds like his name is Herb and people just call him the Herbster. Right. What's up, the Herbster? <laughs> All right. This move came after Lewandowski was taken off his assignment leading the former guy's super PAC. So th- he was in charge of one of his super PACs, and he was taken off late last Wednesday night. Politico reported earlier Wednesday that the Republican donor, Treshell Odom, alleged... Treshell. Come on, really? Yep, Treshell. Unlike the clues in the name. Republican donor Treshell Odom alleged Lewandowski had touched her repeatedly. Okay, so this is... This is when they're starting to eat their own, by the way. Had touched her repeatedly, including on her leg and buttocks, made inappropriate comments, and followed her during a charity event in Las Vegas. This actually is pretty creepy. And yeah, that's very yeah, believable. Let me be clear. Yes. The name Trashell is interesting. No one, you know, yeah. sh- should be subject to this. Because it's, actually pretty, it's actually pretty gross. He repeatedly yeah. touched me inappropriately, said vile and disgusting things to me, stalked <sighs> me, and made me feel violated and fearful. That's what Odom said in a statement Wednesday. Now, Lewandowski's advisory services had become widely sought after among Republican candidates who saw him as a gateway to Trump. Uh, not and because of his talent. No. Right? He just, yeah. Okay. Just a back channel. He saw him as a gateway to the former guy and a means of appealing to the former president's supporters. Now, many candidates, including the Herbster, have, <laughs> have openly promoted Lewandowski's role in their campaigns. Noam and the Herbster, a major Trump donor, were among the attendees at the Las Vegas dinner where Lewandowski was accused of engaging in the unwanted behavior. So that's where all this went down. Obviously, they're taking these accusations seriously. I have no question that I think Lewandowski would have done something like this. And I'm sorry she had to experience that. And he's been fired from the Super PAC. But I think you're right. And this seems like this is a bigger story. So we're going to see what happens. Mm, Gnome and the Herbster. It sounds like a it sounds like a Pixar film. It's like Pinky and the Brainless. it's no man the herbster it's no man the herbster (laughs) god God. but yeah that's that's awful that's terrible behavior and i'm I'm not i I, i'm not shocked and surprised that Corey lewandowski is that kind of a person but um we'll see what happens uh maybe she'll file file criminal charges who knows i don't know we'll see but we'll be right back with the executive director of the alliance for youth action sarah adello right after this quick break stay with us after these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Beans, and today's show is sponsored by Tomboy X. I searched for a new underwear brand because my previous ones never fit, or they didn't look right on me, or they pinched me weird. But Tomboy X made underwear that actually gets me. I love my new boy shorts. I got the Pride and Wonder print. It's like being Wonder Woman all day long. They are so awesome. With boldly, unapologetically all inclusive underwear since 2014, Tomboy X caters to clients of every body type, shape, gender, and size. All sizes, from boxer briefs to bikinis, boy shorts to bras. Every Tomboy X pair is made to fit you and how you see yourself. And I know a lot of our listeners had asked for more inclusive clothing brands, so that's why I'm happy that Tomboy X is sponsoring this show. Besides underwear, they offer loungewear, swimwear, socks, t-shirts, and other accessories. Quality, fit, and inclusivity are the hallmarks of every product. Their attention to detail includes no back seams to ensure a comfortable fit that never rides up, plus silky waistbands that don't roll down. No matter what size or shape you are, Tomboy X has underwear that all bodies will love. 
And with their love at first wear guarantee, you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit. Discover your inner tomboy and let me get you started with a special discount. Go to tomboyx.com, enter code dailybeans, all one word, to get an extra 20% off. That's an extra 20% off when you enter Daily Beans at TomboyX.com. TomboyX.com. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored today to be joined by the executive director of the Alliance for Youth Action. This is the nation's largest youth grassroots organizing network in the country. Please welcome Sarah Adello. Sarah, welcome. Hey, Allison. So great to be here with you. I'm so glad to talk to you because one of the things that has been on my mind and on everybody's mind since before the midterms, especially after 2016, but well, like back when I was a a youth voter, (laughs) um, (laughs) way back in the, you know, Lyndon Johnson. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But the the thing is, is that we were always trying to get the youth vote out. and And I'll never forget after, about a week after the 2016 election, Obama made his first appearance. I believe it was on Pod Save America. And they were like saying, please tell us what to do now. And he and Obama's answer was like, look, uh, there are. I almost sounded like him right then because I was there are uh, just millions of young people um, who will be coming of age and turning 18 over the next four years, eight years. And that group of voters is going to wash over our country like a just a wave of hope. And that always stuck in my head like that is where it's at. And so talk a little bit about the youth vote and what what motivates you to to work with it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll start a little bit with my organizing journey. So I'm originally from Bakersfield, California, which is a super conservative part of the state. My hometown member of Congress is Kevin McCarthy. Um, And our politics and values are very much unaligned. Um, And, you know, when I was growing up at Bakersfield, there weren't really a lot of places where young people could organize. We had the amazing older women of League Women Voters who would, you know, be at the library and registering people to vote. But that was kind of all we had in Bakersfield. And sadly, I had to leave my hometown to learn how to organize. And um, when I went away to college, I stumbled on a group called Advocates for Youth. They work on young people's sexual health and rights. And um, I fell in love with them and applied for one of their programs, got in, and they changed the trajectory of my life forever because they taught me how to use my voice. They taught me how to push stakeholders to make powerful change in the in areas of policy. Like I just soaked it all up. But like I said, I had to leave my hometown in order to learn those tools. And, you know, fast forward many years, I am definitely an elder millennial. Um, I have been, uh, (laughs) my career has been working in and around youth organizing uh, at groups like Generation Progress, Advocates for Youth. Um, I was on the Clinton campaign in 2016 as the millennial vote director for the general election, which was a lot of learning. Um, But, you know, I joined the Alliance four and a half years ago because we are a network of political homes for young people across the country so that the young people in Milwaukee, Wisconsin don't have to leave home to make change. They can just join Leaders Igniting Transformation. The young people in San Antonio, Texas don't have to come to DC. They can join Move Texas. And so, um, you know, the, the ability to have these homes for young people to really find themselves, to learn about the issues they're passionate about and be given the tools to lead change, um, that, that is by passion. That is like something I've been privileged to do as we've worked to support these groups uh, in the, like I said, the four and a half years uh, uh, in this role <laughs> as I'm now exiting and having lots of mixed feelings about it. But, you know, we're youth orgs and I'm old and we need to let young people <laughs> uh, step in. I think that's so amazing that you took, first of all, you, ha- you left home and you had to leave home to do this. And then you you got into this organization that taught you how to use your voice. And you used that voice that you learned how to use to make sure that no one had to leave home in order to organize. What does that look like uh, coordinating that? I mean, is because we've always heard and we and we will now be hearing again as we approach 2022, 50 state effort, 50 state initiative. And that is that has a lot to do with with the vision and mission uh, of, of your organization. Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So at the Alliance, we like to say that we are of young people, by young people, for all people. What that means is we are sending young people and the organizations that they are running as they center young people in their communities to lead change. But we know the change that young people lead. It's not just about young people. It's about all of us, really. And so when I reflect back and or I look at the groups that are in our network, you know, one of the issues that groups in our network champion and are frankly some of the best at the country in organizing around is voting rights. And when we think about the major good reforms that we've had, I know there's a lot of terrible legislation that has been passed in the state level uh, over the past year, but a lot of the good progress that has been made, young people have led. This is groups like Next Up in Oregon, who passed the first automatic voter registration bill in the country in 2015. You know, they also, um, before the pandemic, passed a bill so that way when ballots were mailed out, that there'd be paid postage on them, something that became a huge part of our national dialogue about making sure voting was accessible last year when so many people had ballots mailed to them. So, you know, there's groups like Oregon Leading Network, there's groups like Chicago Votes who fought to get the first polling place in a jail in the country. Like, young people have been at the forefront of, of fighting for this change that, yeah, totally impacts young people themselves, but actually impacts people of all generations as we fight to make this democracy more accessible. Yeah, that's why I love the by young people for all people. I thought that that was because that's me that they're talking about. I'm the all people. And, you know, I remember when I was a young voter uh, and I was getting involved in campaigning, it was for uh, Bill Clinton's first um, election in 1992. And Everyone kept telling us, like, it's up to you. You're the young people. You, you have to do this now. And we also were saying, you know, our, the generations before us have left us a, sh- a pile of shit and it's up to us to fix it. I mean, this is not new. This is not a new thing. We've all been a young voter at some point in our lives and we've all had that, that onus put on us that it's. But the thing about this particular generation is I feel like they want it and they love it and they're into it. We were like, why is this our generation X? Well, this is not our problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like they're ready for the challenge more than any other young generation that came before them. Absolutely. You know, I'm like, as a millennial who's very much not young anymore, a lot of what we faced were, you know, millennials were leading all kinds of movements for change. And, but there was this terrible narrative on top of us about millennials are ruining everything. They're not engaged. It's just like millennials killed napkins, millennials killed blockbuster, right? Like just pick a thing, millennials were at fault. Um, and for Generation Z, they have a lot of the energy, the excitement, the vision that we that we had. I think they go in harder in some ways on talking about how these issues are connected, talking about how we got to get outside of the silos and really reflect on how people live their lives. Um, and like, to your point, they're here for it. They're ready. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like taking charge. And I think they know that one day they'll be the old generation. They'll be the Xers. They'll be the boomers, you know, at, at some point. And there will be more young and up and coming more progressive uh, generations coming up. I think they were the, maybe the first to g- kind of see that big picture like that. Because when I was young, it was like, we're going to always be the most radical generation ever, you know? And then you kind of get a little older and you're like, oh, I, oh, okay, I guess maybe not. Um, or at least out to push. Because I, 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 for, I, for one, have gotten more liberal the older that I've gotten. Um, and I know that some people say that it's that that's the opposite of how it's supposed to go. But I, I just I really find that this generation is, is super fired up and I, I'm here for it and I love it. And I, I have a couple more questions for you, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And today's episode of The Beans is sponsored by Monk Pack. They make the most delicious snacks with virtually no sugar. It's almost impossible to find a healthy snack that tastes great and is filling and satisfying and can get you through to your next meal. But Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories, and they taste delicious. They're a great snack for anyone following a keto lifestyle or just trying to eat healthier and cut back on carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste or snack time. They're a perfect balance of sweet and salty. They have a great crunch from whole nuts and seeds, and they're somehow soft and chewy as well. You can get them in caramel sea salt, peanut butter dark chocolate, and my current favorite, sea salt dark chocolate. They're keto-friendly, gluten-free, plant-based, non-GMO, they have no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols or artificial colors. And with a subscription, I save 10% on all my orders and they're shipped automatically to me. So I can always have a stockpile of snacks. 
And we have a special deal for you. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So there's no risk here. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word at checkout, and save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the Executive Director of Alliance for Youth Action, Sarah Adello. And Sarah, before the break, um, we were discussing uh, a little bit about kind of getting out the vote and and motivating not just young people, but all people to vote. And I want to ask you a little bit about you have a sister organization and there's some differences here because I think one of you is a 501c3, one of you is a 501c4. And so you have kind of there's rules for what each of you can do. But the sister organization actually pulled off the co-founded National Voter Registration Day and have done some amazing things. Can you talk about them and why that's in their wheelhouse and not yours? Absolutely. So Alliance Free Action, or C4, C4s in general, there's just a lot more flexibility about um, how you talk about candidates, how like you can talk about the issues the closer you get to elections. Um, it's It's really... Sadly, so many of these issues that we talk about, climate change, voting rights, like reproductive rights, it's like they just keep getting more partisan, which means that the IRS keeps getting more and more critical about how we talk about issues the closer to elections you get. So if an organization is talking about candidates, if they're talking about issues in October of an election year, that's probably their C4 side that they're talking about, um, that they're engaging on. Because we want to make sure that young people know where people on the ballot stand on the issues. Like that's why it's so important to, if you're interested in supporting groups to look at their C4 side, if they have one, because it's just a lot more flexibility about how you can engage and be real about where candidates stand on what people care about. On the C3 side, this is where there's like tons of restrictions. So like you kind of, you can't talk about issues when you get close to election day. It's really your, your nonpartisan operating organization. And so at the Alliance and at a lot of the youth groups that we work with, activities like voter registration, activities like generally letting people know this is when polling places are open, that's the C3 activity because we're not talking about issues. It's really just about the act of voting itself. And the Alliance for Youth Organizing and partner organizations, um, you know, before I started in this role, but created a, a new what we call civic holiday called National Voter Registration Day. And it's it's really cool that it's kind of just this thing that so many people know about now and are aware of, uh, because, you know, when this holiday was getting founded before I started, um, there wasn't a ton of talk about voter registration and really, you know, how we think about a lot of this is like, frankly, at the end of the day, it should be our government's responsibility to make sure that people are registered to vote, that they know where to vote, that they know how to vote, they know when election day is. Like that should be on government. And we know they fail, like pretty dramatically. They fail. At Especially in, in states where the prevailing party doesn't want people to vote. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And so groups came together um, in an effort to kind of uplift and celebrate the act of registering to vote, of making sure before these deadlines start to hit, which again, it's so ridiculous. Every state has its own deadline about when you have to be registered to vote by. So dumb. Um, but this holiday, the civic holiday exists to say, okay, friends, now, now's the time. <laughs> now's the time to get registered to vote. And no matter what state you're in, register to vote today. Register to vote today and to really be able to invite in other people who maybe don't talk about voter registration as much to engage in this discussion, to say, hey, major companies, like blast out to your clients that now it's time to register to vote. Hey, employers, now's a good time to let your employees know today's a good day to register to vote, right? We just try to, we need to have a shift in the culture. So this is like a cultural intervention in many ways so that we're blanketing the country with now is a great day to register to vote. Let's help make sure that y'all can do that um, before these deadlines start to hit. So that's NVRD, uh, National Voter Registration Day. And right now our organization, how we relate to it um, with peers like Students Learn, Students Vote is we work directly to give young people who are on campuses across the country, the tools to like little mini grants to register their peers, to be able to, you know, uh, there's like 
no, nothing is exchanged to register to vote, but maybe you want to have like some really cool balloons um, at a table in the middle of your quad. Maybe you want to be dressed up in funky costumes as you're running around campus and registering people to vote. Maybe you want to have a bunch of pizza that like anybody can have, but it'll bring more attention to you when you're trying to register people to vote. Uh, that's a lot of what we try to do with groups at the Alliance is to make sure that young people have the support they need to get their peers registered. Yeah, I love that. I wish I had that. We were just like clipboard walking around. We had to download. No, we didn't even have the internet. We couldn't download anything. We had to go to the campaign offices, pick up, the, <laughs> pick up the paper, walk around like, hey. And the friend's like, no. Um, man, it's man. Times have changed. That's amazing. I think that outreach is so important because I feel like I feel like politics now, because of what happened in in 2016, that had a lot to do with apathy and voter apathy. And we we really need to be more preactive, proactive and reactive, um, preactive. OK, I'm just making up new words. Back in the first segment, you said, you know, you're an elder millennial. This is a youth organization. You're getting ready to leave. What's next for you? Where are you going? What's happening? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, the most important thing that I learned from my transition is the importance of getting out of the way. Um, I had a great predecessor and founder, uh, and he set up a beautiful process and, you know, moving from, so he's like a cishet white dude. I'm like a Latina. And he knew that he needed to make room so that I, way I could find myself, I could build relationships and folks wouldn't keep coming back to him. And that's one of the things I'm trying to be thoughtful about is like, I'm going to be here for the new ED to cheer. I'll be their biggest champion. And the most important thing is going to be for me to get out the way because we need to make sure that young people have room to step into their leadership, to, you know, envision the organization that they want to lead. I have an incredible team. Like, wow, are they amazing. I am so proud of the organization I'll be handing over. Um, but I'll be taking a little time to figure out what's next. And again, most important, and I like say this because um, sometimes EDs forget how important it is for us to get out of the way when it's time for the new leadership to come in. That's such great advice and so important for 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 any ED and, and beyond, right? I mean, that's that's really incredible. And it can be hard, right? It can be very difficult to to let go of something that you love so much. But we look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. And uh, I mean, I I'm you have a voice. It's going to continue to be used, and it's going to be very very exciting to see how. Can you tell everybody how they can support the currently the the alliance and um, where they can get more information on how how to help? Yeah, just go to alliancefeethaction.org. That's our website. Um, of course, we love y'all support and and um, you know if you're a young person in some of the states where we have network orgs, we've got a map. Check out those groups. Um, whether it's Forward Montana, New Era Colorado, Ohio Student Association, there's just so many amazing places that if you're a young person and need a political home, we got a whole list of them on our site. And frankly. I'm always here to like, yeah, raise money for the Alliance. But if there's a state that you're particularly passionate about, all of the groups in our network are always fundraising as well, because we want to make sure that we can pay people to do this powerful and transformative work. So they'd also appreciate support as well. Yeah. And it's work and it's powerful, but it's also a community. It's a place to exist. It's a place to be around people who are like-minded and accepting and open and wonderful. That's why I joined the Young Democrats of Northern Arizona University as a young lumberjack. Um, that's our uh, mascot. I wasn't uh. actually a lumberjack. <laughs> but uh, those communities are where you're going to f like make lifelong bonds, make lifelong friendships and 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 have these incredible connections that will launch you into whatever life has next. I just I, I love that. And I think it's incredible. And I'm so happy that you've you've worked so hard to put together these groups and outreach so that people don't have to leave home to learn how to do it. Yeah. And these, like, we are learning from them every single day. You know, some of them have been around for 15 years. Some of them are three years old. Right. And, um, the dream is someday we'll have a group in every single state because again, young people should not have to leave their hometowns to make change. And hopefully like together, we can all achieve that in the near term and later. Yep. And 50 state initiative, 50 state initiative. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your time today, Sarah Adello. It's been uh, an honor to talk to you. Thank you, Austin. So fun. <laughs> awesome. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Season two of Swing Left's How We Win is here. All over the country, people like you stepped up to help hold the House, win control of the Senate, and put Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House. 
Now we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to wield our people power to fight for our democracy. Trump may be gone, but the GOP is still clearly the party of Trumpism. We must stay engaged to make sure we hold on to power and expand our majorities. But how do we do that in the face of historic attacks on voting rights, conspiracy theories that defile the truth, and systemic racism at the roots of our institutions? Season one brought you answers and tools to make a difference from guests such as Speaker Nancy Pelosi, DeRay McKesson, actor Billy Eichner, Stacey Abrams, Michael Moore, Katherine Hahn, Karen Bass, and many more. For season two, we're going even deeper into the issues that matter the most. And of course, what you can do about it. We don't agonize, we organize. And we've got a lot of work to do. Subscribe right now on Apple and everywhere you get your pods for insight, action, and your reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And this is season two of How We Win. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. I don't know if it gets much better than the thought of there being a new show called Gnome and the Herbster. But um, if you have any good news, you could send you could send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We'll also take corrections, confessions, uh, any pod pet tax you might need to pay uh, or want to pay. Happy places, find the cat, shared swears, what the mutt. And of course, the MSW Hallelujah Project, which is growing in popularity. It is indeed. And upsetting someone that we're going to get to later in the good news. Okay. Yes. And here we go. From anonymous pronouns, they and them, dear queens of the beans, knowing how much you love singing, here's my Kirsten Cinema verse submission to the MSW Hallelujah Project. Every time I think about the woman, that woman, I want to smack her and explain that if she doesn't stop giving Republicans a veto over our bills, the entire Democratic Party will be wiped out in the midterms and she'll lose every bit of power she has. What a fucking moron. And it doesn't matter how much money she collects from lobbyists. If the people of Arizona are disgusted with her, she's going to fucking lose. Good riddance to her. Then I remember that I don't believe in violence and I live in New York and she doesn't care what I think. (laughs) This was definitely the tone of a New Yorker, by the way, writing in. I was like, yeah. That was pretty great. And, and, you know, Dana, we we were speaking with Jack Bryan, right? Writer, director of Active Measures last night and, and remembering when we were talking about Kirsten Cinema, remembering that the Koch brothers did this study to f- find out that the For the People Act got such huge support, especially the part where they wanted to kick money out of politics. Mm-hmm. It's like 71% of Republicans were, f- were for that. And so the Koch brothers said in a, a, you know, in a strategizing document, in a strategery document, this isn't going to go over well. We can't even put out you know, ads about this. This will have to be an under the dome, you know, effort. And I wonder where that money's going. Which means targeting members of Congress. I'm certain it's cinema. Okay, rant over. Now for the singing part. You wanted AZ to think you're cool. Told them you would break the rules to bring the people what they wanted. Fooled ya. You hang around with lobbyists fulfilling their corrupt wish lists. While we all sing a fading hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And please let go of your imposter syndrome and remember every day that you are all amazing and deeply love. Uh, I'm a save the best for last kind of person. So I don't listen to you first thing, but I often listen twice just to savor the newsy goodness. Uh For pet tax, here's a picture of Gabriel from High Tour Animal Shelter in Rockland County, New York, nice. available for adoption. Gabriel. Oh, what a great name. Look at this ginger ball. So sweet. This is High Tor, H-I-T-O-R, Animal Shelter in Rockland County, New York. This baby is available. There are some kitties available. Thank you so much for kicking us off with that submission. And a really great verse, by the way. Well done. Well done. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the creativity of our listeners. Mm-hmm. All right, this next one's from Kate, pronouns she and her. After a tough year for all, I finally have some good news and a pet tax. During the previous year and dealing with subsequent depression, I realized I needed a change. So I'm proud to report that I am in my first semester of nursing master's program with a dream of becoming a nursing professor at our local Kauai Community College. Woohoo! 
I cannot be happier about my decision. Okay, maybe moments of buyer's remorse when those first papers were all due. But the idea of having the opportunity to guide the next generation of nurses just overflows my heart with happiness. Another positive I found after the isolation of this last year was my decision to adopt my adorable kitties. I tended to find two siblings to keep each other in company during my long hours in the ER, but I wasn't able to break up the litter when I found this awesome trio. Introducing Kala, Koa, and Kai. The second picture is of Kai's first kill. Oh, you can see the bird in his grasp if you look closely and could not be more proud of himself. They give me constant joy and entertainment. Lastly, a question I've been pondering. What are the Democrats holding off on abolishing the filibuster until we can be sure we hold the Senate? Oh, House and the Senate in 2022. I could agree with waiting under these circumstances because who knows what Moscow Mitch might do if, with the, if there is no filibuster and he gets the gavel back. Ah, many times over. As always, thank you for everything you do. I listen every day and love your ever-expanding family of podcasts. Stay strong and much love. Aloha Nui Laau. Uh, aloha Nui Loa. Oh, my Oh, gosh. my God. Catty Kitty Tongue. That is an adorable picture. <laughs> Look at these babies. Oh, my God. They're beautiful. All three of them. They are. Thank you for that. Oh. Thanks for keeping them together, too. Yes. These three boys. So very cute. Unless Kai, I don't know. But Kala, Koa, and Kai. That's so cute and adorable. Thank you so much for sending those in. Next up from Dr. Barbara. Hello, my agents of light. Allison, who brings the lightning, electrifying, and illuminating us. Dana, who brings us clarity. Amy, bringing the warmth. And Kanai, keeping the home fires burning. As I sit here listening, you just ask those of us in fights with our car to contact you. <laughs> I'm currently sitting in a strip mall <laughs> in Wilmington, <laughs> no. Delaware. My 2005 Buick just died at the intersection and I was able to coast to a stop in a nearby parking lot. No idea why my car is upset. I just got it out of the garage last week, routine maintenance. But since you asked, and it looks like AAA won't get here for a while, it seemed like time for me to reach out and thank you for all the work you do. Anyhow, here's my poetic contribution. Oh, I thought I would write a haiku about Louis Gohmert's IQ, but he's such a limp stick and thick as a brick, so this poem became a limerick. That's fantastic. <laughs> kind of, I love it. It's like, it's half haiku, yeah. half limerick. My pod pet tax is my house tigers, Nejum looking at the moon, and Boudica being adorable. They're feral cats who wandered into my apartment four years ago and taught me I was no longer allergic. Who knew? Oh, oh that first picture. Look at the guy in the pot oh in the my cabinet. <laughs> Just right above the crock pot in the di in yep. the baking dish. Yeah. All totally right. cool. Ooh, here we go. AJ, you ready? Because court uh -huh. is in session. Dong dong. All right. This is from Anonymous pronouncing him. I really don't want to apply for a writ of mandamus, but I feel the court needs to consider whether the defendant's actions, whether deliberate or accidental, can be considered a public nuisance. Defendants, the Daily Beats. What? Allison Gill, formerly known as AG. Dana Goldberg, sometimes known as DG. Complainant. My internal DJ. Sanity and all folks affected in the manner identified below. A recently launched game, Adiverse to Hallelujah, causes much merriment and helps display the talents of the show's listeners. Fortunately, there's a side effect, which I do not think has been adequately considered by the defendants. Earworms. <laughs> Where song is inserted into the mind of a listener and their internal DJ plays it in constant loop for hours. This is an earworm. Now, I like Hallelujah. And as for Allison, Jeff Buckley's soulful version is my favorite. But a couple of hours of rolling around in your head is more than enough for anyone. I've interrogated my internal DJ on this repetition. They shrug and say, earworm, it's the law. <laughs> They'll fail to identify the exact statute being followed. Now, that's it's impossible for me to take the ultimate precaution for where I would get my daily beans if I was not listening. I move for the Honorable Judge Amy Carrero, too bad she's not here today, or the presiding judge, part of the defendants, <laughs> to consider a limiting motion be placed on this game so that it may be played no more than twice a week and never on consecutive days. How very dare you, sir. We look forward to the decision, or anonymous, you know, pronouns he, him. Yep, sir. We look forward to the decision of the court and submit this with fees of my friend, my friend's French bulldog, Bruce, whom we regularly talk to, and my parents' kitten, Miss Bingley. 
who I only get to see occasionally. Thanks for the daily dose of sense, humor, (laughs) news, and humanity. (laughs) Look at the kitty. Oh, my God. Well, here is the thing. Oh. This is be my take as a defendant. I would like to defend myself. First of all, we are given the good news by a third party, kind sir. We, we have no control over which stories get put in front of us, and we are often as surprised as you. So that would be, that would be the, first, <laughs> the first thing. Uh, secondly... Uh, <clears throat> May I submit an amicus brief here? Yes, please. Okay, if it pleases the court. Might I recommend the way to end an earworm is to listen to the actual song. And then once it's over, you have closure, and it's no longer rattling around your head anymore. I do think it's funny that you think that our verses are what they're repeating over and over and not the actual <laughs> song. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah. the, the way to stop an earworm is to listen to the actual song. There you go. It's, it's like listen to the Buckley version from beginning to end. Now, that means you would probably be listening to Hallelujah on a daily basis. But hey, I mean, then the, you know, the Buckley family gets, you know, an extra four cents yeah. at the end of every quarter from Audible. So score. And yeah. And I honestly, I don't think you're going to get a fair and unbiased uh, judgment in this case, since the defendants are both hosting the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just for you, was this anonymous? Was this an anonymous? No, court is the, yeah, court is in session anonymous. This is, this is for you. Oh, <clears throat> Listen to the Daily Beans and our Leguminati queens, because swears will make the news seem better to you. Care for each other and yourself, the planet and your mental health. Until tomorrow, sing a hallelujah. And then four times. It says, do it four times. We're going to meet you halfway and not sing hallelujah four times. Yeah, you can sing it in your head and then let that earworm roll around for the next few hours. That was but, a really um, good one to end with, Anonymous. Yes, yes. And I, I, feel like, I feel like I still need to do the sign-off, though. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? No, I want everyone to have a good weekend. It's nice to be here all week with you all, and I'll be back in your ears Monday morning. Sweet, sweet. Right with, with, more, <laughs> with more hallelujah right in your ears. I would bet. Uh, until then, everyone, please, if you can, if you're able, without having to listen to Hallelujah too much, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And I'm The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.